Good to see you. Good to see you at the right time. Can't say that for granted, can you? Me and my son were looking at our phones last night, thinking, does this automatically change or do we have to do something? And he looked at me and I looked at him and said, we do the wrong thing here. We could be two hours out, couldn't we? We could could be awful. So we trusted in um, the, 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 the powers of smartphones and in fact, I was awake two hours early, worrying about it anyway, so <laughs> there was no chance of me uh, oversleeping. Well, good morning to you. Um, my name is Barry. I'm one of the uh, ministers here, one of the pastors here. Um, we're going through this um, passage in one of Paul's letters, um, one that he wrote to a city called Corinth. This is obviously about 2,000 years ago, um, addressing certain problems there. We'll come on to that in a second. Let me ask you a question. Are you confident? Anyone prepared to put their hand up and say, I am confident? That more or less answers my question. Um, You either are confident, but you're not confident enough to say so, or you're not confident. Do you know what I mean by that? I don't mean, is everything okay in your life? Is everything a roaring success? I mean, do you feel confident? And it has a number of um, uh, valences, of, of different levels of meaning, that word. I wonder, are you at peace with yourself? Do you, when you're alone and talking to yourself, is it a good conversation or an argument? You know, and, and I, I, I talk to myself quite a lot. Um, I usually lose the argument. That's what worries me. Um, and also, taking up some of the imagery that Paul uses in that letter... When you enter a room, what, use my words carefully, what aroma do you bring? I don't mean literal aroma. I mean, you know, what flavor do you bring into the room when you're there? Are you a a, a positive force or are people kind of wary of you? Do Do they sense your nervousness and does that affect everybody else? Well, I went onto the internet because that's what you do when you're preparing talks like this and looked up self-confidence and see what come up. And I found ten steps to self-confidence and here they are. Alright, so if you've got a pen, you might want to write this down. Firstly, dress sharp. You guys are fine. (laughs) Secondly, walk faster. Apparently uh, nervous people walk slowly. Develop a good posture. That's the third one. Write yourself a personal commercial. Imagine selling yourself. That was number four. Sit in the front row. (laughs) People constantly strive to sit at the back of the room because they're afraid of being noticed, apparently, reflecting a lack of self-confidence. Roy, come on, man. Uh, Next one is speak up. Uh, during group discussions. There's a Chinese proverb that says the opposite, isn't there? Better to stay silent and let everyone think you're a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. Uh, But apparently, no, you need to speak up. No matter what rubbish it is, just say something. And um, the next one is work out. You know, apparently if you're out of shape, you'll feel insecure, irritable, unattractive, and less energetic. What rubbish. All of them, all of them are based on you. Develop self-confidence through yourself. Do something. There were three others, though, I actually thought had a... And actually, there is some truth in them as well. I've got to be honest. 
Um, they do work a little bit, but they are based on self. Um, there was two or three more which I thought were a little bit more profound. One was gratitude. Set aside each time to mentally list everything you have to be grateful for. Recall your past successes, it says, unique skills and so on. And this will make you more confident. I can see some wisdom in that. Um, secondly, compliment other people. When we, speak, when we think negatively about ourselves, we project that onto others. I think that's very true. Um, so that's good. And it will bring out the best in yourself, it says. And then lastly, focus on contribution. Think about what you can give rather than what you receive. And this, this will develop your self-confidence because you'll feel better about yourself. So those last three, I think, were quite good. The first seven, I think you think, well, they're pretty superficial, aren't they? And they are based, actually, on you. Self-confidence through having confidence in self. Now, if there are fundamental weaknesses and issues with self, that has to be just a superficial exercise. I want to look at what Paul says about the self-confidence of someone who knows God, who knows Christ, and where that comes from, and where he gets his self-confidence from, and what it's based on. This letter, this, this letter to uh, the Corinthians is an interesting one because it's written into a very, very specific situation. So it's not Paul writing ivory tower theology. Um, Romans is a little bit kind of removed. Ephesians is quite removed. But 2 Corinthians is a very specific situational letter. And I just want to look at what's actually going on there. Basically, Paul is a converted Jew. You've probably heard of the road to Damascus experience. That was when he met Jesus and became a Christian and stopped persecuting them. Up to that point, he'd been putting them to death. Paul's Paul's lifestyle change is radical. Um, He then, after a period of, of, of preparation, which is quite long, he starts planting churches, founding Christian churches in cities around the Mediterranean, some in what we would call Turkey, some in Greece, uh, and one in Rome as well, and a few others, including this one in Corinth, which is a, a very pagan Greek city. It's a seaport. It's steeped in immorality, in, in pluralism. There's, 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 it's, a, it's a real kind of um, melting pot of humanity. It's probably pretty similar to London in many ways. You get all kinds of people there trading and all the things that go along with that. That church needs to be pastored and taught and nurtured because they don't know what they're doing. So Paul writes a letter to them and he goes and visits them. 1 Corinthians is the first letter which addresses a lot of the sort of ethical issues of the church. And then Paul comes away and then he finds that the church is being misled and being uh, assaulted by false teaching. Not everything that Paul did worked out. Paul's self-confidence is not always based on personal success. He has a very checkered career. He runs pretty close to the wind a lot of the time. Not everything he sets up succeeds. Corinth is possibly one of those. A lot of rival teachers come along and soon the church there is in revolt against Paul. He's criticized and he's undermined. In particular, they don't like the fact that he's not an original disciple. He's not one of the twelve. 
He's not one of the ones that walked with Jesus. And they undermine him for that and attack his confidence in himself. So Paul sends his assistant Timothy to go and see how they're getting on. Timothy says that things are getting worse. Paul visits again, leaves with the situation not entirely resolved, sends his friend Titus to go and see them, and then intercepts Titus on his way home because he's so eager to hear whether this church is in the recovery mode or not. And then writes this letter to exercise some more assertive leadership and to defend himself in the face of all this this criticism. And Paul could be excused for losing self-confidence at this point. All his work was being undone by others, and it was being undone because people were attacking him. They were saying, you're not a proper disciple, you never met with Jesus, you didn't walk with him, Um, you never saw him, you're preaching um, a message which isn't really Jewish enough, you're not sticking to the law, all these things, uh, and you're not a very good speaker either, and we are, and we're going to take on this church off you and do it the way we want to do. That's not unfamiliar in church life, actually, that kind of thing does happen. So Paul has to face this situation and say, oh, right, um, how do I feel about that? And insofar as I feel confident and assured and peaceful, where does that come from? Because it doesn't come from circumstances. The circumstances here are going south in a straight line. I can't just look at them and draw comfort from success. Because at the moment... Things are not successful. Where do I get my security from? And as far as we're concerned, us here today, that's what I want you to think about. Where do you get your self-security from? That knowledge inside that you are okay, even if the things that you're engaged in go south in a straight line at the speed of light, you are still okay. You're all right. You have a sense of worth, of rightness between you and God, if you like, and with yourself. Where does that come from? And if you look for Paul's monument, look around you. We are here. That's what it says in St. Paul's, isn't it? Except that's Christopher Wren. Never mind. This building is named after him. We have no idea who these rivals were. Their work did not last. It crumbled and it faded. Paul's work lasted the test of time. If you look back at verse 4, you'll say, see that Paul says this, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Through Christ before God. We're not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Have a think about your own life and how self-confidence affects how you behave towards other people. I know that when I feel insecure, I will project that onto what you're doing, usually, Chris. I usually have a go at what you're doing and say, that's no good. That'll never work. Or I'll criticize what someone else is doing over here and say, well, that's all very well, but what they don't understand is this. And it's not because what they're doing is rubbish. It's because I'm feeling bad about me and I want to bring them down to my level so that then I can look at them and feel okay again. 
I think you'll find that's a pretty common human reaction, unless it is just me, in which case all my self-confidence has just evaporated completely. But I think we do that quite a lot. Psychologists call it projection, I think. Where you're dealing with something in you, actually, but it manifests itself as bad relationships with other people. So this thing about having peace in ourselves changes our personality. It makes us really much nicer people. We're kinder to others. We don't mind somebody else succeeding and us failing. We can rejoice in it and say, great, I wish I could do that. Because we don't feel condemned anymore or inferior. Paul's confidence, I think, is based on three things. Firstly, the triumph of God that he believes in. The fact that God has won through Jesus Christ. Secondly, the testimony, the picture of the lives of the people that he has pastored and looked after. And then thirdly, the glory of this new promise that God has made with mankind, which we would call the new covenant or the new testament. Firstly, his confidence in God's victory, God's triumph. Paul is rock solid in his personal faith. He knows that his value, assurance and peace comes from the relationship between him and God through what Jesus did on the cross. It's not based on how good he is, how good a speaker he is, uh, whether he attracts numbers to, to what he does or what other people say about it. In Galatians, another church which was in division, he writes, I don't boast about anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. And I think if we got that, you know, if we just made our own identity central on who we were as Christians rather than how good we were at doing things, then our lives would take on an aroma of peace which other people would detect and find extremely attraction, attractive. And Paul is basically saying, I don't want the church in Corinth to fail, but if it does, my faith will not. My faith is not based on success. It's on based on God's success. And the picture he paints here, he talks about a procession, um, which was something, or a triumphal procession is the word he uses, which is something that you gave to a Roman general or a Roman emperor after they'd, they'd won a victory. They would, you've probably seen it in films. They would process into the city and people would throw flowers at them and they would burn incense in their path so that even if you couldn't see them, you could smell the fact that they'd been there. People knew what that smell meant. A bit like um, a New York ticker tape parade, but, but 2,000 years ago. And of course, that aroma, that smell, meant one of two things. If you were on the victory side, it was the smell of victory. If you were one of the prisoners being trailed along behind, it was a rather more ominous smell. It meant that you were about to be sold into slavery or maybe, you know, fight in the arena or something. And Paul uses these pictures to proclaim what, is, what it's like to know and understand the victory of Jesus. Not the victory that he's won, nothing to do with what Paul has done, but something that God has done. 
He's basically saying, all I'm doing is taking that aroma, that incense, and wafting it around so that other people can smell it and want to join in. And that's really all Christians are called to do, is sort of waft God around in, in, the, in the way that they live their lives and proclaim their inner peace and how they are. I don't think we have to be brilliant at everything. We just need to exhibit this joy in God. So the first thing is God's triumph. Paul is saying God has won and God is for us. Join in and you'll feel peaceful. The second thing is the the testimony, the written witness of people's lives. Paul is accused of proclaiming and praising himself as if he's forged his own reference for his job. But ultimately he says my security is not based on the approval of other people. I'm not a peddler of the gospel. I'm not doing it for money or for success. I'm doing it because I see people's lives changed. And if you want a recommendation, a testimony on my work, look at these people. Look at the people who've been changed by encountering God. For Paul, the Christian, the follower of Christ, is not marked by achievement or status necessarily, but by fruit, by things which come out of our lives. Paul is always looking for character, not necessarily gifting. I suppose he's against gifting, but character is his thing. For values, for things which manifest themselves in behavior. Again, in Galatians, he puts them down as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He's saying, if you want to know the value of my work, look at those attributes in the people that I've been looking after. That's my letter of recommendation. And I get my confidence from looking at those changed lives. And I want to say to each and every one of you here, if you're engaged in the process of helping people find those gifts within themselves, then you don't have to be a brilliant preacher or a brilliant um, musician or a great singer. You don't have to have a faultless life that you can hold up and say, look what I did and what I didn't do. You can say, gosh, through me, God has worked in those other people in small ways every day, incrementally, a bit by bit, little by little. And that's my testimony, that other people are changed. Um, There's a a, a, a little bit in, in, in an Old Testament prophet called Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, where God says, there will come a time when I'm going to write the law on people's hearts, not on parchments or stone. I'm going to write it on their hearts. In other words, it's going to become part of their nature and their character to live the way that I want them to live. And Paul sees the signs of that happening and says, there you are, that's my testimony. And finally, Paul's confidence is based on confidence in God's promise this covenant that he talks about, which he contrasts with the old law of Moses. He's not denigrating the law. The law has an important part to play. But what he's saying is, you don't get merit by keeping the law. You get merit because Jesus Christ has died, taken away your sins, and declared you right before God. You will then want to keep the law. Because that's what you'll be like. 
The law is a tricky thing, isn't it? You break it at one point, you've broken the law. You imagine if you're driving down the motorway, you're hauled over to one side by a policeman who says, I clocked you at 85. And you go, yeah, you're right. But on average, you've only been doing 56. He's not going to say, oh, okay then. You just broke it once. And you've broken the law. And the law is a letter thing. It kills if you apply it that way. It becomes an instrument of, of death, says Paul. But the Spirit brings life. Live in this new promise of God that you are right because God says you are. In another letter to Romans, he writes, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Confidence looks like believing that, that I'm not condemned, that I'm declared good by God. We can't base our relationship with God by being okay on average. We're declared right with God through Jesus and changed. And that is what Paul bases his self-confidence on. On the rightness before God and the presence of the Spirit in his life, changing people. Self-confidence, ironically, is not confidence in self. It's confidence in how God sees me and how God changes me the measure of that is the fruit that is in my life and if I see that I am being more spiritual my confidence is based on the fact that my life is bought bought by Jesus at Easter, redeemed by faith in him and everything that we celebrate when we sing in this place